you are weak. One hundred percent. Finally. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from Idle Thumbs. I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this week, we are discussing Twin Peaks, The Return, Part 16. Yes. This episode of Twin Peaks was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on August 27th, 2017, again, unless you're in some regions <laughs> of Europe, in which case Sky seems to have aired it a day early and then pulled it. They can't get that. It's really shocking. It's a TV show. You yeah. just tur- turn it, it on and then the you turn it off. all the other ones they're do- Yeah. I guess they, they're trying to continue Twin Peaks' legacy of everything having slightly weird airing orders and inconsistencies. Yeah. That's what you love. I do love it. On this episode of Twin Peaks, the mysterious recurring coordinates are finally reached by an ill-fated Richard Horn under the gaze of his father and great uncle. Diane reveals the horrible truth of her history with the Cooper Tulpa before revealing herself to also be a Tulpa. Uh, Audrey finally makes it to the roadhouse, or does she? And Cooper busts out a few telltale Agent Cooper phrases and mannerisms, promising a full return any week now. No, wait, he is back 100%, and he is the FBI. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... I'm not sure if Bad Coop is in fact a tulpa. Yeah, I don't know either. I actually don't know if that's, we'll see. If that's the case. I don't know if that's yeah. what that means. Yeah. I, I, like if I he went... goes back to the lodge, I don't know if he'll turn into an orb or if something else will happen right. to him. No, it's true. You know what? He's probably not a tulpa. He's probably not an orb. I struggled with how to phrase that because I'm like, is it correct to call him Bad Coop in that? I don't like we don't technically know because it was years ago. Before I assume it was Bad Coop she was referring to. I certainly hope so. She said it was years after they stopped talking and he yeah. stopped sitting in tapes. Yeah. Cooper's doppelganger and Diane's tulpa help. We'll, we have two hours left, Chris, and it will surely all be definitively yeah. declared. Yes. Uh, man. Yeah, that was, that was fucking good. That was great Twin yeah. Peaks time. Wow. It was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's so funny how, I mean, you know, We'll talk about this, obviously, more, but we've been so conditioned to not to see things that make it seem like Cooper is about to return. Yes. uh, And then have those expectations dampened. Yes. And it was such a weird combination when he finally did just spring back into himself. Mm -hmm. It was such a weird combination of completely expecting it. Mm-hmm. Because it really seemed like we're so close to the end of the series. This was such a jarring event. How could it not be? But also just constantly in the back of my mind. Right. Like, just thinking, oh, he he, he just, even stood up from the coma, but he's probably going to lay back yeah, down and he's going to be yeah. Dougie in a coma for yeah, two more weeks. Yeah. Da, 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 da. But yeah, then when Mike says, are you back? And he says, 100%. Yeah. Uh, like, Dana just went, <gasps> So did Sarah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just smiling like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. That was really, uh, it was really something. Yeah. It turns out that keeping Agent Cooper away for 15 hours of Twin Peaks and then <laughs> giving him back uh, yeah. like that yeah. has an emotional effect on a person. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> well, so what order do you want to talk about this stuff in? I mean, it opened with Bad Coop and Richard Horn. I think we should talk about that and just get, yeah. get it done. Okay. Uh, so we got 
even more classic middle of the night first person driving. It's just, his, it's just how he it's goes, how he Chris. Travels. It's just his way. Yeah, yeah, he travels in style, in that particular style. He either travels at night with the headlights illuminating the road or on like in like the dustiest dust mode possible when traveling in the daytime. <laughs> That's true. Yes. <laughs> so we also, we got a few, uh, we got in fact two major reveals about, I mean, weird to say, but about Bad Coop's sexual history in this episode. Yes. Both with Diane and, I mean, certainly with Audrey. Yeah. Um, which there is, were things that were left open to be possible and I guess are are in some ways the most, like, obvious things that could have happened, but also that yeah, doesn't make they me... they were that the most obvious. That doesn't yeah. make me like them at all or or justify them to me. It feels like they're... Yeah. I don't, I'm not into those choices made by Frost and Lynch at all, personally, but they're what they are. And they were also just tossed off, especially the uh, Richard Very Horn one, of just like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, son. Goodbye, whatever, yeah. goodbye, my son. Like, yeah. that was almost a meme. Like, it was... It was yeah, like it's true. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I... Well... Well, uh, you know, one of the, I would say one of our memes on this show, or maybe one of our preoccupations, is the comparison of the ways that Twin Peaks, the series, and Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me, the film, uh, treat choices made by bad actors, whether doppelgangers, whether sort of possessed by a spirit like Bob... Um, whether acting presumably under their own um, decision making and and how those are conflated and um, compared. And we definitely are repeatedly on record as really appreciating the way that that is treated in Fire Walk With Me, Mm -hmm. which is a very, I think, um, morally complex and um, uh, nuanced version of it that avoids letting these individual bad actors off the hook for their kind of possessed actions because of the, I think, essentially, I don't know, metaphysical or psychological suggestion that they are acting out some version of their actual selves and right. their dark impulses. Firewalk with me never lets you say, "Oh, I was possessed by a ghost," or just, "I'm a bad character. It's my nature." Like those right. those simple explanations right. are never allowed to fly yeah. in that in that movie's interpretation of Twin Peaks. Yeah, and in the return, it really feels like it has swung back to a more extreme version of the opposite explanation than we like a more extreme version of that than we've ever seen in Twin Peaks. I would say this is the most. I mean, we have two hours left, so I, I, I am, you know, nothing is is set in stone here. Nothing sure. is is obvious. I mean, even after those, I doubt anything will be set in stone. Um, but certainly, there's a lot more material to discuss. But I would say, increasingly over the course of this series, um, both in terms of like mechanical lore explanations, as well as uh, just the the clear surface level. Um, like events going on, it really seems like this series is very much on the side that there are explicitly different entities that are full, that have fully divergent, like moralities and impulses and um, states of being. Uh, And there is in this case, good coop and bad coop, which there's precedence for that, obviously. And we, you know, Bad, uh, good coop is in the lodge. You know, I mean, we. The, yeah. It's not as though that is a new concept in Twin Peaks. 
Uh, but it has really, really, really driven home this series that these are are different entities, and I don't think we are meant to hold Good Cooper responsible for what we now know to be pretty terrible historical actions yeah. um, on the part of Bad Coop. And, I mean, just the way that Good Coop was treated in this episode, in the exact same episode as we learn of these terrible things in his doppelganger's past, he is treated so heroically, which, you know, it's what also what we want. Like, we've been waiting for this character to come back. Um, but the juxtaposition was extreme. Also, it's David Lynch. Maybe that is going to come to a terrible reckoning. Like, right, maybe those know. two Coopers are going to somehow become one, and he's going to have to be like, well, I did all those things. Yeah, like, that I mean, could we, happen. That could totally happen. I have no idea. I'm not even saying I want that to happen. It's no. Just, you, uh, but I'm just given what's on the screen, it's, it's, it is interesting how many, I think, different ways this has been treated throughout Twin Peaks. It's also worth noting that uh, they are materially different in that Leland wasn't himself a doppelganger. Leland was possessed by Bob, which is something that has been true of Bad Coop's doppelganger. I'm sorry, of Bad Coop himself. Right. Bad Coop, I guess, who is himself a doppelganger. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess. Who knows? I, what I, I don't, that, it, whatever. Who knows? In any case, he was possessed Right, we've specifically Bob. seen him say, you still with me, and seen Bob in the mirror, and then yeah. we've also seen Bob leave his body. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite the same situation as, as Leland. No. Uh, Leland wasn't physically split into two beings, as but far as we know. Bad Coop. Bad Coop, indeed. He's so bad. What will he get up to next, Chris? Oh, he'll disintegrate his son on screen. <laughs> I have to say, I really enjoyed that. It was so <laughs> absurd. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was obviously ridiculous. There were a few... Um, Totally ridiculous visual effects going on this episode, yeah. and I enjoyed all of them. That Richard Richard Horn disappearing was was like it was an amazing one because it was terrible and it was amazing at the same time. Like yeah. it was just there were so many pieces of it that were just not good. They were objectively just cheesy, but then they were mixed with what seemed like real time lighting and actual pyrotechnics and like all sorts. It was just yeah. It was like a microcosm of all of David Lynch's what he loves uh, effects aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. This episode was definitely I, a prime example of David Lynch loves the artifice of this stuff. Yeah. And really picks and chooses when he wants a seamless effect and when he definitely does not want a seamless effect. And he does not care whether you think that's cheesy or not. And yeah. I really like that and appreciate it a lot. They're all. I mean, we've in- talked about it before, but I, it's been a few episodes since we've gotten. A, this many very overt ones like yes yeah. anything involving bad coop cleaning up his mess seems to be uh where good yeah. <laughs> good cell phone screens and good yeah. and bad visual effects collide yeah. yeah yeah uh uh also notable in this scene we finally get a Jer- <laughs> the weird saga of jerry frantically running through the forest uh finally why was he doing it? Now we know. Yeah, we stay, I mean, well, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, I don't know if I we may never know. Yeah. The life, the life and times of Jerry Horn may be yeah. shrouded in mystery past the end of Twin Peaks The Return. I mean, it is a total, um, it is just a great example of what a different experience it would be to watch this show a second time. Yeah. You know, or this, this series, this season, I mean. Um, obviously, watching any television series or movie or anything again is going to give you a different experience because you already know what's going to happen. But the difference between what any of those Jerry scenes could possibly mean and what 
they are leading up to now is that that is a gulf that is. Yeah, he's. It's now enormous. going to feel like a ticking clock towards Cooper getting back yeah. at Twin Peaks. I think when right. you watch it a second time, as yeah. opposed to right now, it's where it's just been abstract slapstick and just a confused, uh, super stoned dude in yeah. the woods. Which is interesting, actually. This episode, just on that note, generally, and since we're talking about Lynch, and I know this is, I'm, I keep bringing up very general themes, but uh, this episode more than many was very uh, interesting to me in that served as a, a a really uncommon bridge between, I think, Lynch's instincts as a filmmaker, which definitely relative to a lot of directors are much more on the intuitive side rather than the sort of um, uh, fully plotted logical side, right? I mean, a lot of Lynch's is one of the things that's great about him as a director. A lot of his movies seem to be directed in a, in a very just sort of intuitive way according to his whims and that that is definitely true if you read interviews with him or with people on his sets Mm -hmm. uh you know he 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 is more interested in communicating some uh emotion however vague or um complex it might be than he is often really making sure the audience understands everything going on mechanically Mm -hmm. and a lot of twin peaks up the the series up to this point has been in that mode. Um, you know, you, a lot of those Jerry scenes are sort of, they're weird in the context of Twin Peaks, which traditionally was very much a soap opera in which things might be weird, but you, for the most part, mm-hmm. understand, like, the surface level of them. There was no real way to understand the surface level of what was going on with Jerry. People had theories, and some people were ultimately correct, but there was nothing in the text that confirmed or denied that until right. now. Uh, and... But now, I mean, it is it is revealed like he was running to this exact place. It was going to happen at this moment. He was doing this. He somehow. Why had, was he compelled to do that? We don't know. Yeah, we don't know that part. That's true. But um, and a, lo- a, yeah. a lot of stuff in this episode for me kind of felt like that. It was an interesting example of what happens when those tendencies of Lynch's are allowed to um, be stretched out over so many hours in a single work. Um, and some, presumably not all, but some of those will and are now coming to a head. Yeah. Uh, we've just never seen that before because Twin Peaks, the original run of Twin Peaks wasn't like that. He didn't direct all those episodes. Right. You know, they were written by all different people. It just wasn't the same thing. Yeah. It, it, they were they were bound by the constraints of television that and also, of the frequency yeah. that you have to pay plot points yep. off in television way more. This is, is, we've talked about this a lot, especially at the beginning of this, uh, of the run of season three. It does feel like it has the structure of one of Lynch's films in this way a lot where, like you said, there is all that sort of intuitive, in, intuitively fueled moment-to-moment stuff, and then the farther or the closer you get to the end, or the farther end of the film that you get, the more apparent it is that while he was making a lot of sort of intuitive only and sort of emotional choices moment-to-moment, they're still in service of a cohesive work just on an axis that you might not be used to. Yeah. Uh, like Mulholland Drive is a super good example of that where it seems like nothing makes sense then you get to the end and it's still you know on first view does not entirely make sense but there's a surprising amount of cohesion and consistency inside of it yeah I mean no it's true I mean the version of it in this is very different than something like Mulholland Drive or most of his movies I mean I I guess not not certainly not all of them but you the the way that the return of Cooper was treated and you you know, this episode had a few instances of like 
classic Battle Lamenti score and yes. these like very crowd pleasing. I mean, yes, I, I I totally approve of the way in which those were crowd pleasing. But but, um, but you know, big resolutions of like here you go. It's that's that's true. That is totally true. Um, but I think Jerry Horn and Cooper and Audrey Horn are all examples of us having spent hours or hours or minutes, uh, yeah. but hours of episode in a space with these characters that we don't understand. And it's hard to know, like, mm-hmm. what is what is Lynch doing with this? Is he just sort of, you know, pursuing yeah. some flight of fancy? And now they're all sort of hitting really specific pinch points that all of these scenes are all of those arcs watching them back from the beginning is going to be really satisfying. Oh, now. yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, as compared to a feature film, I wonder if part of what is going on is uh, not really what's going on, but just a way you can look at this or a thing that occurred to me. You get these really, really, really long extended uh, arcs over the course of many episodes, which are sort of resolutely unresolved and Mm -hmm. uh, often very confusing and in some cases um, intentionally frustrating because you keep expecting things of the audience. But then when the payoff finally comes, it's just big and cheesy and crowd pleasing you know because the <laughs> because the, the it's disproportionately been such a tease up until now mm-hmm. right as, as you wouldn't even you would never have time to build up that much expectation in a film because you simply don't have the screen time to do it right yeah and, and that's that is again just something that is new for lynch because he that yeah the, the closest the comparison would have been previous twin peaks and that's you know yeah it's like i mean it, the, there have been big, big sort of reveals in yeah in Twin Peaks, but they're not good. <laughs> like Matt, Maddie Ferguson getting murdered is basically. Wait, really? You didn't like that? Oh no, no. I mean, it's great. Oh. It's fantastic oh, filmmaking. You mean it's ba- it's, it it's is, emotionally yeah, yeah, yeah. just I like see, oh no, yeah, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. The, all of the right. sort of pent up ones right, in right, right, old right. Twin Peaks that finally get released. That's true. Are only cathartic in that you know the answer now, but what you've learned is something that is is dark. It's dark yeah, and yeah. makes the world worse. Yeah, uh, I mean, we got some dark reveals in this episode, to be sure. Yeah, definitely. But we also got yeah, we also well, got one hundred percent. Yeah, at the same true. time, it's true. Yes, um, and we learned that the Mitchums have hearts of gold. They do. They really do. That's been you know that's been sort of on the knife's edge for the whole season, and now <laughs> true confirmed confirmed the yeah. number one thing that audiences have been waiting to learn. The Mitchums have hearts of gold. <laughs> <laughs> of what precious material are the Mitchums' hearts made? That's now like a we, movie theater quiz. <laughs> now we know. Yeah. <laughs> gold. Gold. Uh, what is gold? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, anyway, Coop texts a thing. Uh, Jerry sees some things with binoculars backwards. Great. Why, yeah, whatever. Who cares? That? Why was he? Uh, <laughs> who cares? He was able to see that. Shockingly well, I wondered, given that he was misusing his I binoculars. I wondered if that so in the script was just written blatant. that Jerry uses binoculars, and then that actor and David Lynch decided that it was funny for him yeah, to I use them backwards because he yeah. acts like he can see it fine. Like the words that he says out loud, yeah, are just like, oh wow, you know, he's he's like surprised by what he's seeing, and he's acting like he can see it, but he's using it backwards well, but you see, through but you one see eye. The view of it, and you still see the scene. But it's literally clearly. the same scene that he could see with his eyes. Like the no, shot know, was the I same. <laughs> Uh, it didn't. It didn't seem to mean anything to me, but who who can tell for sure? Yeah. Uh, and then Coop. He also. He also. Oh. When the terrible thing happens, he seems to be very mad at the binoculars and calls them bad binoculars. He doesn't even call them bad binoculars. He calls what? them bad binoculars or something oh. like. He's, 
<laughs> he can't even. I see. He's yeah. He's out of his mind. It seems like at that at that moment. Yeah. Do you think he knew his great nephew? I don't know. I was wondering that as well. Yeah. Hmm. He didn't seem to know what he was seeing at all. But we'll find out. Yeah, I don't know. I was. Yeah. That's one of those things. What it seems like in the moment versus what his mind will have revealed to be recording uh, could be not the same. Next week, yeah. Jerry Horn might call Ben and tell him a lot of stuff. Yeah. So here, give me a like a error check on this. Was the implication that the coordinates Bad Coop got from Diane were incorrect? Those were the incorrect ones? I'm not sure. And she later sent him remembered correct ones? I'm not entirely sure. He he says, because we've not been tracking the numbers of this show very cleanly, and he said, yeah. two people gave me one set of coordinates and one person gave me another. Yeah. Which one should I check out? And Richard said, the one that two people gave you. Yeah. And the Cooper seems to have agreed with him, mm-hmm. but we don't know. And yeah, that's where they were. They're at the two-person coordinates? Yeah, yeah surely, right? I or guess. Not. Maybe not. Maybe he was, maybe those were the, that was the outlier and he was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. My assumption was they were at the two people coordinates. Yeah. Um, I thought so too because he said because he didn't say which ones we would check out. He said, what would you "I got do? three sets of coordinates. Two of them are the same. Yeah, what would you do?" And he said, "Go and to he, the two. Yeah, yeah, and, two he, and then me. Cooper responds in a way that makes it seem like he's like, yeah, exactly.' Yeah, and then, but then he sends Richard out to to be evaporated, which made me wonder if maybe he was checking the outlier first. Could be. I'm not sure because then, well, then when he sends he sends that text, he sends a smiley face and all in caps. Yeah, and then uh, Diane. Receives that. Receives that, and then is immediately distraught and emotive in a way that we haven't seen Laura Dern play Diane so far. Like that, and she texts, she frantically texts back that series of numbers. Also, by the way, on, this is such a stupid detail, on Bad Coop's end. It says uh, not delivered. It says not delivered, yeah. They use iMessage. I wondered, yeah, I didn't know what what that meant, but she did eventually receive it. And it, like maybe he had to just drive somewhere where there was service. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I only mention it because there was some weird text behavior later as well, which is that she so she responds with that big long number. Mm-hmm. But then later, when we see her phone again, we still see Bad Coop's emoticon message. Mm-hmm. But we her reply is gone. Yeah, it seems like whatever is going on with the way they use cell phones, it's it seemed like this episode was definitively saying they are definitely talking back and forth to each other. Yeah. But it might not be <clears throat> yeah. through whatever the normal text message channel is, right. but they still work. Like Bad Coop has mysterious weird technology powers that we don't understand and don't yeah. like seem to have any direct meaning to anything, but nothing quite works correctly or as expected with him diane is now confirmed to be a creation of cooper of bad cooper she's basically she's very similar to dougie jones she's a a tulpa she's technically know she's a creation of him do we uh i mean i I don't mean that she's made of him the same way that dougie jones i wasn't suggesting that but we don't know that he's the one who created her no it's it's we don't know that for sure but it seemed like she said after their night he took her to what seems like the place above the convenience store. Yeah. And then she's now back on earth and she was and she was manufactured. Like whether she was made for another purpose is unknown, but Bad Coop yeah. took, no, took probably, real Diane somewhere. Fake Diane came out and seems to be being used by by him. And you know, this may not be entirely correct, but it seems like he might have he it seems like Bad Coop also has control over or access to what 
memories and information this version of Diane has. That was my read on it, at least. When he texted smiley face all and she suddenly just like collapsed into into tears and heavy breathing and being mm-hmm. distraught. My read on, like, I'd seen people say that maybe smiley face all means, like, kill them all or do something like that. My, yeah, I my, wasn't quite sure. My read on that was maybe that he said just, like, your entire memory of our time together is now available to your oh, brain. Oh, like, I like that read. Because the way that she acted was no, more, was totally. almost like, I understand what I've done yeah. more than I understand what I have to do. Yeah, and I, 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 yes, I think that is, I think that, that, that is a really good read. And, and when I, she looked at the gun, I was like, is she going to kill herself? And then she got up and started marching towards Cole. And I was like, God, is she going to just kill everyone what's going to happen right here well she also i mean doesn't she say man i don't have it written down but i uh, to my memory she said or vocalized in some way something that did suggest that she was remembering more detail than she previously had been right i mean obviously she's been evasive she's clearly been evasive Mm -hmm. with the fbi this whole time but also it's i got the suggestion that she you know like you're saying she says i remembered oh, Coop, I hope this works. And then she sends a string of numbers. And it made me wonder if she was actually now... Was it the numbers she had remembered or was it more she remembered in, right. in I, her I own wondered if she past. remembered more and then real... And then my, my stupid read on all of this, because it was out of nowhere, was that a lot of, a lot of what is closer to the real Diane wakes up and she tries to correct what she's done by sending Coop... Like maybe she was the outlier who'd sent the correct coordinates previously, and now she's sending him the incorrect ones or something like that. Mm. Like she's like, fuck. That, that, maybe, maybe I can sabotage this guy. Maybe I have one last chance. That was my assumption. That's what I thought happened, but I don't. But yeah. I, but I don't know. Yeah. Also, know. weird. Just note that there's no way to really have an answer to right now. But it was interesting to me that she is so incredibly functional as one of these manufactured yeah. creations, as compared to the Dougie Cooper. Yep. Who is not? It makes it makes me question everything we know about the Diane that we've seen, though. Like her "fuck you" response to shut down any line of inquiry could easily not be what actual Diane was ever like, and it, this could yeah. totally just be like we're just like she's an acerbic asshole who's been burned by these people and is just like cuts all yeah, communication true, although, off off by just swearing at people. But she that's definitely possible. She, but but my memory of this is another thing that a rewatch would be, you know, great for. But mm-hmm. um, my memory is that when Albert and Cole were originally approaching her, and they they seemed they like expected they expected she would be like that this. she would be like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, so yeah, we'll see if we can ever untangle that because it seems like this Diane has been this way since for at least twenty years. So maybe you know. Yeah. At what point did Diane's demeanor change? At what point did she change into another person? Right. Ah. <laughs> I mean, maybe the original Diane is dead. I don't know. Maybe the original Diane, as the internet now thinks, is in fact Nido. Right. N-A-I-D-O-D-A-I-N-E. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out, or we never will. Yeah. Just as possible. I wouldn't mind if we never will. Yeah, no. So Diane gets that text, has a very emotional response, reveals Chekhov's gun in the most overt way. Overt way. Like that was it was overt, but it was also so well done. Yeah, I thought it was great when she does that, closes the bag up, and then we get we get that what is it, American woman, American woman blasting yeah. in slowed down form the same music that we first were introduced uh, when we were first introduced to Bad Coop in yeah. the in the premiere. Yeah, as she's marching up the hotel through the hotel with extreme purpose. Yeah, that's the Muddy Magnolias. Yeah, song American Woman, not the more well known one that obviously isn't this. Yeah, and that whole. 
scene, I or that yeah, that whole sequence cross cutting between Diane and Cole, I thought was really really yep. cool. Um, I don't know why specifically Cole seemed to be so attuned to her approach. Maybe he just really had his hearing it. aid turned up. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, that's totally possible. Maybe he was just like something is wrong, and then I mean, just he dialed it way up. Knew it was her, but I guess that makes sense given that Albert and Tammy were both in yeah. the room. Uh, I mean, or yeah, he also might have just had some attuned attuned yeah. sense, but I mean, it that, also could have been his highly attuned sense of hearing due to his <laughs> robot. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of those things where the an- the specific answer really doesn't matter. But no. I, but I really liked the effect of it. And before all of this, we'd seen Cole sitting in that room. Uh, just kind of looking around like pensively. Yeah. yeah, I re- I read that as d- both Cole and David Lynch kind of just looking at this room full of all this wacky equipment, know, being like, yeah. "Is this necessary? What was the deal? I couldn't. I was. In <laughs> Do love I need with, all of this I to solve a crime? With, I can't even begin to imagine what all that shit is. What possible use could they really have good. for that many LEDs it, and yeah. knobs? It felt it felt so much mounted like devices. Both, yeah, both Cole and and. Uh, <laughs> And David Lynch just like, is this what the FBI needs to do this job? I don't know. But it, but then, I think this is what a crime solver would use. I know. But then later it was kind of retroactively turned into maybe he was sensing that something was going on with Diane. But who cares? Yeah. Uh, it's all of those things and more. Yeah. That scene of him just like, what? Is, why do I have rack mounts of like iterative like sonar display like what is all this all they've (laughs) ever done in that room is talk about tulpas and make a phone call (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah (laughs) but whatever yeah that cross cutting back and forth between uh diane and coop and then him just saying come in diane Mm -hmm. like great uh yeah and then her uh the way that I mean, Lynch just knew, how, like the, that was just like the most classic suspense scene of all time, where she's sitting there with the bag closed, and then she opens the bag, yeah, and then we see inside the bag again, and then she puts her hand in the bag and fiddles with it and takes it out, then fiddles with it again, pulls out her box of American Spirit cigarettes, like ah, yeah. it's all good, it was, it was great, really good, yeah. um, well describing just a horrible thing, yeah, whipped out a gun, and then whipped out a gun, and then turned into a video effect, yeah, it felt like. Lynch or like Gordon Cole was aware of how that scene was going to play out. Like he was calm and collected throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Also, you know, I I don't want to continue to just talk about how annoyed I am by Bad Coop just being a serial rapist. Yeah. I thought that um, Laura Dern playing the sort of finally awakened Diane was awesome, and it was, oh, great, was great to get an actual yeah. like this whole episode. Yeah. Once once Diane received smiley face all, and like it felt like very mm. similar. I mean, that is the thing that felt very similar to Coop and uh, Dougie was just like yeah her entire uh, her, her physically changed. Yeah, she physically yeah. changed, and and Laura Dern's range as an actor was unlocked, and it was like yeah. Okay, so it has been a very deliberate choice to have yeah. her just be this really weird one note character, and suddenly, like, whoop, oh, okay, yeah. Lynch and Laura Dern know, you know, we've seen obviously they've worked together in a bunch of things, but like getting, seeing the entire range of her character, yeah. even for just a couple minutes, makes the rest of it feel so much more like a, a, a knowing choice and not just a weird thing. Right. Well, and this is another this is another thing that I I think really is notable in the context of David Lynch's work because I mean, a lot of David Lynch work, you'll have characters who act in strange ways and stilted ways and and often you go the entire film and you'll never quite be certain why. Yep. And so it I never that stuff never really felt that out of place to me because No. But 
But it is interesting seeing the version of it where you sort of get a little bit of a window into right. like what the actual in-world uh, rationale for those choices is. Yeah. I also... Oh, it, sorry, go it ahead. Just, it just... It, it's, it centers and contextualizes the rest of the performance in a way that, like, yeah, you, like you said, you don't get in a lot of David Lynch stuff, but mm-hmm. in this being Twin Peaks sort of... Yeah. It makes sense that they would end up providing that context. Yeah, it does. Because, I mean, in the context of Twin Peaks, the television show, this world is basically the real world. I mean, weird, crazy yeah. things happen in it. There's supernatural elements. We have all this metaphysical stuff. But it's not... It's not it's not like Mulholland Drive or even something like, I mean, Blue Velvet, where it almost seems like the entire thing is a dream world. Right. Oh, Lost know? Highway has Lost that Highway, feeling. yeah, exactly. Like, And, you know, it's not that's not really what Twin Peaks has ever been. It's still been a real physical yeah, these place. Are, these are actual aberrant or sort of abnormal spikes inside of the world that we all know. Yeah. And this, yeah, season three has, has lived way more in that space, but it's cool to see the the sort of the frequency sort of fan back out into reality for for mm-hmm. moments like this. And a, a thing that I, to, you know, to, to your point about the full range of Laura Dern, I want to say in, with, in Kyle MacLachlan throughout this entire series and definitely Laura Dern in this episode, I think we've been privileged to get a really incredible um, example of two actors who are, have been acting for a, for a long time, are... You know, they are, you know, on the upper end of middle aged, I guess, probably Mm -hmm. just age wise. And they have that ability that some actors really grow into as they get older, which is the ability to wear their age differently, depending on what the scene calls for. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I was totally blown away by this episode in both cases and, and have been in the Cheryl case Sherilyn Fenn also for half a second we could talk about that at the oh, end oh yeah sure I, the ability for both uh, McLaughlin and uh, Dern to sort of turn on or off the physical effects of their aging mm-hmm. just by the way they carry themselves I think is incredible I mean I, th- I think it's really amazing yep. and um, McLaughlin's been doing that throughout the whole series because he's been switching between uh, Dougie Coop and Bad Coop um, and Cooper, and, and brief you in know, the very, very beginning, and more recently, Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think it's, I just think it's amazing. I, I, I think it's really incredible, especially because a lot of our associations, I think, with Kyle MacLachlan and the work of David Lynch, is as a total fresh-faced, enthusiastic youngster. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks. He's got that really um, buoyant, vibrant quality to him and seeing his ability to com- to deploy all along that spectrum a- yep. a- as an a-, a more aged person is I-, I think amazing and I I I've, I've said this so many I've praised yep. his work in the series so many times over the course of this podcast these episodes but I just it's great. It's cool that they. I mean, they're taking advantage also of the fact that we haven't seen this actor in this in this role and in this space for twenty five years. Where you're sort of wondering, has he lost his touch? Is he just old? Like, and that you know, like you were like, are they just scraping by with the familiar Cooper stuff early on, or just, you know, like he's oh, he's playing some version of haggard or confused and all the other Coopers. So then when you see him, just go, hello, it's me, Agent Dale Cooper. <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, you're like. I think the fact that we haven't seen Kyle MacLachlan, well, we've seen him on other TV shows and in other places, but you haven't seen him inside of sort of the window of Twin Peaks for all that time. And I think all that time away leads you to not know sort of what the quote unquote real Kyle MacLachlan performance and all of these things are. And I mean, there isn't one. 
there's always that uncertainty of just, is he actually just old? Is he actually really haggard? And like you said, he is and, and he isn't. And he's able to take mm-hmm. advantage of the point of the fact that he's at this exact point in his life where he sort of has control over all of those things. Yeah. Yep. I hope I hope he is uh, gets official recognition for this, which is not a thing I typically care about at all. But um, I don't know. For some reason in this case, I, I do. I don't know why. Uh, It'll just be easy for people to dismiss it as being quote unquote weird. I yeah, think in the same uh, yeah. way that sort of when people give a great performance in a comedy, it's really easy to dismiss it. And oh, sure. in this case, he's giving a great performance in a weird thing. Right. And a thing that you could describe as gimmicky. But yeah. yeah but I think it's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, oh, we haven't talked really very much about Diane in the Red Room. No, we haven't talked about it at all. Yeah. I found it to be genuinely unsettling. When, I when, did too. I when, thought- when Dougie popped away into an orb, I, ca- I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. But this one... It was like the most disgustingly bad visual effects well, work, but well, it was befo- so creepy. Well, I mean, before we get to that, I mean, the scene, I think part of what you're reacting to, at least part of what I reacted to, was that the scene was set with an incredibly magisterial, awesome looking shot of her legs crossed in the chair. Oh, right. Chair, when she pops into the red room. Lording it up yeah. in the chair. She was total lord. It's total boss. And I, I mean, that was just a really cool looking yeah. shot. And I, yeah. I think it set the scene for what came after, which was just incredibly bizarre. Where, and, well, Mike's like, Mike's, Mike's job apparently is to tell, <laughs> he's the ambassador. He like, hangs the sort out of waiting sad, for these people to like, come back. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to say you were manufactured. And Dougie is like, oh, but, the, yeah. but Diana says, like, yeah, I know, fuck you. Yeah, or whatever she says, yeah. <laughs> I think she does say, I know. Well, she does say, I know. I don't and think then she, I think she does say, fuck you. Oh, she does, you're right. She says, I know, fuck you. I know, fuck you. And then she starts <laughs> undulating in a disgusting looking way. Yeah. Or like, you could see even the seams of the visual effect, but it didn't matter. You could yeah. literally see where the warp was applied or wasn't applied to her body. Irrelevant. It just was the David Lynch yep. creep. He knew what to do to make it creepy. Then the way that her face sort of popped into these yeah. like cracked pieces. Yeah. You know what was notable to me in this case, and I bring it up because you mentioned something about uh, matching the uh, direction of light and so forth in the Richard Horn uh, shower of sparks disappearing mm-hmm. scene. The gold bead, mm-hmm. the 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 big version of it before it turns into the practical effect tiny mm-hmm. version, the um, it seems like whenever that's there, they aggressively don't match the lighting at all. So it lo- it's, it's just from another, it exists in a different world almost yeah, from the rest so of the shot. So it looks yeah. really, really, really out of place. And that it's clearly intentional because that is like the easy, that would be the easiest version of this. It probably is always on. literally the same 2D version of I it. No matter it what is, the lighting yeah. is, it's just a photograph of a, of a bead, but then it sort of falls, collapses down and, and merges and turns into a prop. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, I only bring that up because it's an example of something that there's no way for that not to be an incredibly specific choice. Yes, the, the the same visual effects house. There's only one visual effects house yeah. credited for the entire production of this show, and boof. obviously, yeah, boof. Obviously, the people who made the incredible nuclear explosion and the bug creature that crawls into mm-hmm. the girl's mouth could render a sphere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, they cho- like yeah, it, yeah. David Lynch could render a sphere. Yeah, I'm anyone sure. could do it. I'm the sure guy in could, the yeah. editing room, whose job is to paste that sphere in, was surely like, you know, I could just make this a sphere. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's very. I have this GIF. It's yeah, it's very deliberate. Drag sphere.png into the shot. Um, we also other thing we didn't mention. She her when this is happening, her jaw. I mean, it seems like her jaw is kind of making. 
these really unsettling uh, noises that are very much in the vein of a lot of the kind of scratchy, yep. almost sort of insect-like yeah. noises we've gotten a lot in this ser- season. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Mike witnesses yet another one of these things yep. collapse. He's resigned to do it. Yep. Uh, well, is that the la- that's the last we see of the FBI in this episode? At least of this of branch that, of, of that the FBI. FBI. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, well, do you want to talk about the next time we see other FBI agents? Yeah, let's withhold the reveal of Cooper until later in this sure. episode. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about just all of the occurrences that transpire surrounding uh, the Jones household. Yes, yes, in Lancelot Court, <laughs> mega stakeout. Yeah. The- <laughs> I really liked this. It almost felt like a uh, sort of a um, like a theatrical farce, you know, like the kind of theater production where people are coming in and out of different doors in the same house, yeah, and it's some kind of it was like like outrageous comedy. If you somehow were able to take David Lynch and Quentin Tarantino and the <laughs> and the Coen <laughs> Brothers yeah, and sort of oh, like man, fold yeah, them yeah, all yeah, into yeah. one scene, yeah. like. What if sort of the 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 Tarantino who made you know yeah Hutch and Chantel are total Tarantino they characters are. they have those conversations they, they f- about Jennifer Jason Lee was in the Hateful Eight and uh, yeah. wh- wh- who's the other actor Tim Roth and Tim, Tim Roth he I was don't know. in um, uh, Pulp Fiction right yeah like they're yeah. they're actual Tarantino actors they also Jennifer Jason Lee was also in the Hutsucker Proxy like they feel like they feel like a weird mix of Coen Brothers and Tarantino characters to me but this entire outrageous. Pff- farce ah it, it was it was great i thought lynch directed it really 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 well it was paced really well and the thing that made it the thing that made it like walk the line between something like from the cohen's and um and uh, and also just a very sort of frosty and mark frost twin peaks thing was the introduction of just the sort of nimby-ish neighbor character who's also an outrageous gun guy like that felt like a 5,000 times heightened version of the yeah. moment in the Big Lebowski where the neighbor comes out and just beats the crap <laughs> out of his sure. car. It's like, you wreck my yeah. car, I wreck your car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because, I mean, the thing that reminds me more of that is his, like, slamming into the back of... Yeah, where he's ra- yeah. he's ramming into their yeah. car over and over again. Yeah. Ah, oh, jeez. Tim Roth was also in Reservoir Dogs. I forgot that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we are just jumping all over the place yeah. with the scene, but it, I, it doesn't well, matter. Well, it's all that... It doesn't... It's just, I mean, the sequence of events is... Uh, just it was such a great buildup of all of these things, and just people, each of each different group of people watching either from behind uh, the sort of dash of their car or from behind uh, the like foyer of the Jones house, just watching everyone arrive and depart, and just like what is happening. Mm-hmm. It was was great. Yeah, I did not expect uh, Hutch and Chantel to go out as aggressively as they did. And I definitely did not expect it to be at yeah, the hands of, of a super extreme machine gun wielding neighbor who's accountant. mad. Account, accountant who's mad that uh, that they're in his parking spot. Yeah. But man, yeah, Hutch got wrecked. They both did. Yeah, I know. But Hutch, we saw full, like frontally just perforated. When I think of david lynch i don't think of scenes like this at all no, and i don't expect yeah. him to be able to carry it off with the degree of panache that it had and yeah. he totally did it was very very good also it I was also a breaking bad thing it, yeah sure that's true yeah which is the show he has said he he, he really loves likes. um a great additional detail that i don't think of as a breaking bad thing but definitely would be in a coen brothers movie or potentially a tarantino movie 
uh, is the Mitchums with their revolvers, like sneaking out of the house and sort of watching this and being like, um, let's put the guns away and then yeah. slinking back into the house. What do they say right then? Oh, I don't know. One of them says something like, put you, you know, put the gun away or but something. But it's just like these people are under a lot of stress or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Right. That's that's different. Yeah. he um, People are... The fuck kind of neighborhood is this? Yeah. People are under a lot of sp- stress, Bradley. Yeah. These two in this episode really make a point of stating the obvious, like, yeah. not necessarily the obvious, but stating sort of the dumbest takeaway of yeah. things or sort of just the, the least substantial yeah. thing. It they happens say a couple it in times. Su- they say it in such a like nice way to each other, though. The, yeah. the Mitchums well, were they like- got, They got hearts of gold. They were in top honest. form this episode. Yeah. Oh, they were. They were fantastic. Uh, I did not expect that the Mitchum brothers would end up being like- characters that I feel like sh- yeah, they, they are entitled in my opinion to sort of enter the pantheon of great like weird Twin Peaks character characters yep uh, yeah which is funny because they were in the way they were introduced as once again as with so many things in this season of Twin Peaks it's just really difficult to know they were introduced as what just two of these like, complex yeah. plot elements are gonna because you know um, the guy in the tower in Las Vegas never you never. know important to the plot in some ways but not really. I mean, not a character that we really got right, to the know same very as, well. The same as really all of those characters much. who are sort of just pieces on the board of, yeah. of Bad Coop, yeah. like the the woman who texts to Argentina. Right. Also, just exactly. they just they're there to sort of be cogs sort of in this cogs machine, and then just yeah. be disposed of. Whereas yeah. the Mitchums seemed like they might have been that, and then turned out to be something mm-hmm. way more. Or the um, Anthony, the insurance guy, right? Like he got a little bit, he punched a little bit further through, but right, but ultimately didn't really. But the Mitchums and uh, Hutch and Chantel both, I felt, had yes. time to shine the last couple episodes, yeah. and then their whole thing coming to a head yeah. in this scene, like, well, Hutch and Chantel got to go out in a dramatic way as well, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I guess those other characters, characters we mentioned, also uh, exited the series by being murdered, it, but it, it felt. It felt way more meaningful in this definitely, episode because definitely. we had because we had this their scene last last episode talking sort of about their job and about life and this episode where Hutch uh, was sort of reminiscing about how he had regrets about the, the yeah. owing the dead guy money and uh-huh. and then they their awareness of the just complete insanity of what they'd walked themselves into felt yep. like it gave the end meaning like they went out as competently as they possibly could except Ex- what they were dealing with was so unexpected and out of well, control that they were d- they were done and well that and also that they um the ultimate re- i mean oh well she ran out of cheez its and was mad and crushed yeah, or cheetos in letting her professionalism slip that yeah. is what undid them yes yeah yeah true had they just driven away they'd be fine yeah they would still be murdering people in disgusting ways that I hated to watch. Uh, but instead, I felt bad that they were iced by a wacky accountant neighbor. It's funny that... Uh, they went out by, by way of the most Twin Peaks man possible, apparently, but also the most not Twin Peaks man yeah. at all. It's inter- It's funny to me that this whole thing wouldn't... I mean, the way that this would be treated in a lot of TV shows, and I would say actually Breaking Bad, since you mentioned it, is an example of this. After all this happened, Walter White would get back to his house... And there would be this carnage left over, and he—that would be the reason he escapes totally unscathed. Yep. But in this show, 
Cooper never even goes back there in the first place. No, it does mean that the I Jones family, family is safe. That's true. That's true. It does mean the Jones family is safe. But it still yeah. all felt like all of those things were orchestrated in a way that sort of Cooper slash Dougie slash the Jones family are protected. Yeah, that's like, true. The FBI has a completely hot scent to track, which is that these these uh, assassins yeah. were yes. murdered. The Mitchum brothers escaped unscathed after stalking the Jones house. You mm-hmm. know, like no, it's totally it's true. But yes, um, yeah, yeah, the assassins that were waiting for Dougie are dead, and all of the bullets went into Hutch and Chantel's car, and none went into right. into the Jones household. Yeah, so no, Walter White makes point. it out. Yeah, uh, no, that's true. Dougie Jones in his Breaking Bad esque green suit uh, makes it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> entirely unscathed. Yeah. Uh, well, do we have anything? Oh, so I guess the things we have left are uh, Audrey stuff yeah. and Cooper stuff. We should stuff. talk about Audrey at the end, of the same way that the episode does. Yeah, I think. I, I think. Let's. I think, I think you're. I think you're right. Let's. Let's. Let's talk about Cooper, which we have talked about a bit. Yes, obviously, because how could you not? Badoo! I'm so happy. Yeah, it was great. I'm so happy. I. <laughs> I was very like as I've gotten acclimated to Dougie Jones and eventually really like really like Dougie Jones. I had a niggling worry in the back of my mind that if we were going to get Cooper back, it was going to be at the expense of Dougie Jones and the Joneses. And instead, it was handled so deftly and in such an enjoyable, delightful way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still the Jones family is ultimately going to be tragic and kind of yeah, fucked up because yeah. they've they've been living with a fake inflatable human, right? And then they get Cooper back, or they get you know suddenly they think that Dougie is becoming increasingly awake and sort of a better, more normal person, and then he fully wakes up and their mind is blown, and then he has to say, ah, I'm not Dougie. Yeah. But he says it in the most gentle way possible, and uh-huh. is do- and it seems like he- Cooper is doing his best, you know, by asking Mike if he has that seed and giving him a piece of his hair. He's obviously yeah, planning on, gr- on growing them a new Dougie. Yeah. Presumably a better Dougie than the previous one, because it's grown from good Coop instead of bad Coop. Uh, I, but who I, knows? I, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, but it at definitely, the same time, he, it definitely. If they got an equally non-functional Dougie, it would definitely still be a bummer for that family because the more functional Dougie got, the more they liked him. Right. But also, no matter what, it's going to be a, a. It's going to be weird. Yeah. But I was glad right. that they at least are addressing it. I was really yeah, worried that we just, were going to get Cooper ghost. come back and then yeah. the Jones family was going to just sort of disappear as a joke almost. Yeah, I, I was worried about that too, and it definitely didn't happen. And yeah. I, I really appreciated the way that it panned out. And one of the things that facilitated the way it panned out is the fact that Cooper, and this was definitely something I did not expect, Cooper seems to have been, a way, he seems to have at least had like some level of persistent memory and like... Yeah sensory experience of what was going on with Dougie. I assume that wasn't simply happening in real time the way people experience things typically, but he definitely remembered those experiences for sure. It's tough to know if, because the way he's talking to Mike, it feels as well like, it feels like Cooper, the Dale Cooper, special agent Dale Cooper that we know has a huge amount of awareness and knowledge, not only yeah. of Dougie Jones's yeah. life, but of, how all this stuff works. But of the functioning, yeah, the way all of this stuff functions. It seems like either, well, I mean, you say you don't think that he was experiencing it in real time, and I don't know if that's true. I think that maybe he was, like maybe, um, like because like it makes me think back to all of the things that Dougie Jones has done, and it feels like maybe there was a fully functional, one hundred percent awake Cooper 
some number of layers back who is basically doing his best to exert himself. Like when you see him cry when Sonny Jim is in the car and when you see him scribbling all those notes on the insurance paperwork, at this point, I think to myself, that might have actually just been 100% Cooper, but he basically just has a pinprick window into into reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's a – there's well, for one thing, in the context of the show, we have no way to be conservative sure. about it. But part of the reason I say that is because even in life, people in sort of coma comas or coma-like situations – we don't have a lot of necessarily understanding of how they perceive things. Like I, um, there was a, there's a, I was listening by complete coincidence the other day to a podcast describing sort of a woman in a coma being shown photographs of her loved ones and her brain reacted the exact same way as your brain or my brain in normal day-to-day existence would react if shown a picture of your loved oh, one. Oh, like she was, she same... was in a coma and her eyes were open yeah. and they were able to show her pictures. But that didn't happen with sort of speech or like all sorts of other stimuli okay. that we would trigger our brains in specific ways were not happening. It was just certain things would do that. <laughs> so, I mean, it made me, I, I sort of just had that on my mind when I was thinking about Cooper in this situation. Okay. And I wonder, that's why I said maybe not 100% real time. But right. I don't. But I don't know. I mean, there's no way to know or not know. This. When he when he wakes up, though, there's no need to to reacclimate or anything. He yeah, he's he snaps in. He's just it. yeah. I mean, I understand right. yeah. my entire life with with the Jones family. I understand their history. I can turn to Mike, a formerly basically unknowable being in a world that we don't understand, and just it feels like Mike is almost like his Gordon Cole in that situation where he's like, "Do you have the thing? I I have the thing. I understand what I have to do." Like that was. I'm not saying that to say to say anything about what any of it means, but it was just it was absolutely thrilling to watch all of that stuff happen. Absolutely, yeah. Um, to just watch Cooper come back and just a hundred percent take charge of the situation, but in the most like in the most gracious and collected way. Mm-hmm. He wasn't being like aggressive or even like super assertive. He just sort of calmly knew what had to be done, and it, it was great. Yep. It was very good. It was, yeah. When Mike, uh, when Mike said "finally," that was also the most like audience surrogate thing in the yeah. entire world. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if the if of all the people who have to get who have done all this backwards talking, mm-hmm. which is then reversed to become normal talking. Do you think that he? That's like he just if he has gotten better he's at, good it? at it because he had to do it. All those times, because yeah, the way that the relief ago. on in his voice, even though it was delivered backwards, was like was great. Yeah, it was really well done. Yeah. yeah, that guy talks backwards so much. Uh-huh. We haven't have we heard him talk forwards this season? No, no, because he's never Gerard been in the has real never world. been around. Yeah, Gerard, yeah. yeah, exactly. Philip Gerard, which is a missed opportunity, kind of because he's so good as that. Do we? Do you remember what the conclusion of his character was? He runs off or something, right? I mean, what what was the last time we saw the Gerard version of him? I don't I mean the last time was probably in Firewalk with me which confuses me because I don't remember when the last time sort of in linear time, time line, was. Yeah yeah. 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 There's a bunch of other stuff inside of um inside of the scene before Cooper wakes up. Not a, a I don't know how much it's worth talking about in any detail, but you know, we had the Mitchum show up yep. and Deliver this huge, huge plate, plates uh-huh. of food. Uh-huh. Bushnell was there. It was a good, like, Jones story. Candy and the other yeah. girls. And also, uh, the nurse, uh, this is a tiny little piece of Twin Peaks 
ephemera, but the nurse is uh, an actress named Belina Logan, uh-huh. and she was actually she was. Uh, the assistant or sort of the bell desk person in the Great Northern in Twin Peaks season one. Wow. She played Amazing. a character named Louis or named Louis Budway. She's the person who was excited that Empty Once was coming. Yeah, she 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 was in a bunch of episodes. She was in two. Right? She was oh, in two only, episodes. Only two? Okay. In in early season two. She was in oh, two okay. episodes. She uh, I think she's like kind of a minor Lynch player. She was in oh, that's she was in Frost and Lynch's canceled show on the air. She was also uh, yeah. a bit she had a bit part, I think that was cut out of another Lynch film. But yeah, she shows up as a nurse. She's just credited as nurse, I think, or as hospital attendant. She's not credited as name. Literally as Louis Budway. So I don't yeah. know if it's I don't I don't think it's that the same character grew up and yeah. worked in Vegas cool in a detail, hospital, though. but it's the same actress showing yeah. up. Um these are what you call finger sandwiches. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is that's just another. Yeah, all just things great. considered, he looks good. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting and very Twin Peaksy that everyone kept asking if the thing that was affecting him was just electricity, right? Until he wakes up, right? Yeah, the Mitchums. One of them also is like so. It's, uh, it's electricity. Electricity. It's like uh, electricity because it was either Bushnell or Janie E. Also asks that of the nurse. Uh, the well, I believe um, uh, Sonny Jim does. or Sonny Jim does, and yeah. and Janie is uh, not does not think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this stuff is all just so sort of uh, fan servicey, but whatever. I mean, I I guess that's the point. Uh, his uh, I don't know praise of Bushnell Mullins. Yeah, was very touching and nice. He was so happy about how everyone took care of him as Dougie yeah. Jones. Yeah, like, he just was so. Grateful. Thankful and grateful. Yeah. yeah. It was nice. Uh, he is the FBI, by the way. He is definitely the FBI. <laughs> he is 100% the FBI. Um, it was one thing that was interesting to me that we've commented on before because we don't have any way to know what life was like for the Joneses before the original Dougie disappeared. Um, but Sonny Jim points out dad is talking a lot mm-hmm. and Janie says he sure is. And we don't really have any way to know if that is just comparing him to his recent state or if that is like a noteworthy lifetime event for Sonny Jim that his father is speaking this coherently. I mean, we do know that Dougie, real Dougie, had episodes where he was somewhat less functional. Yeah. But we don't really know to the to i mean how long were those how much of his life was that what was his what was his non sort of episode state it seems like no matter like, what he was way more of a muted person than the cooper that that sunny jim gets yeah, for this hour yeah. because he's like it doesn't take a long can time drive. Before, right he exactly. can drive really well he's talking yeah. more like it seems like yeah, yeah. no matter what this is the most like crisp he's ever seen the person he believes to be his father right right yeah so i don't know that was notable i we it's entirely possible some of that stuff will be clarified if we see a new Dougie, but we, we also might not. Yeah, that might have that been might have that might have been the good bot. Right, what we see, yeah. what we've seen right now, might have been. Yeah, we have our assurances that the Jones family will be taken care of. Yeah. Um, did you have any other obs- uh, observations or comments about the casino scene where Cooper actually says goodbye to his family? I mean, we did actually talk about that a little before. Yeah, not not a ton. I mean, it was. It, it was, was well delivered and it made me really sad. Yeah, it was really heartbreaking. It was a pretty brutal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Janie E basically having lived not 
what seems like a full life and having to make peace with the fact that she's going to get, I guess, the best version of her sad life was really tough to like fully deal with. Because like they're, they're, the Jones family situation is just not good ever. It's yeah. never going to be good. Nope. Their life was basically destroyed before it began because of whatever the hell is happening in the rest of this show. Yeah. And see, like, also just a reminder, uh, Janie E is the sister of a woman who has a tulpa and was married to one right. also. I assume that Janie E is a fully formed human being who's a normal yeah, person who just so got just too. wholly trapped into this totally disastrous life yeah. and has just been used yeah. forever, presumably. It seems like by by bad yeah. coop, I guess. I guess, Like, yeah. Dougie Jones seems like he was placed in the world to be a vessel yeah. I mean, yeah. And well, I mean, what she picked just to further torture Diane, I guess. Or because of their, I mean, because maybe he figured like, having those li- familial links would aid him somehow. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But that def- definitely is, I mean, it's obviously relevant. It explains, like, it, it doesn't mean anything, but it also explains, like, a couple episodes ago when Diane dropped that reveal and people went, why doesn't she recognize Dougie Jones as Cooper? It's like, well, because all of these characters are fake because there's just this whole fake life propped up around Janie E. And those characters not recognizing each other, maybe they don't because they're just, like, literally just inflated people with a glass orb inside of them. Yeah. Or a, a brass orb. Yeah. A golden orb. A heart of gold. <laughs> Yeah, it was really tough. It made me really sad. I was glad that the show addressed it at all. I felt super bad for Sonny Jim. I was also glad that we got this big old Battle of Menti music while that was happening. Yep. It was, there was a lot of that in this episode, and it was... That was uh, one was, of the few new pieces of Battle of Menti music that really has asserted oh, it itself. New? No, it's, it's asserted itself a couple times in the season. It oh, was, okay. I think it played when the boy was hit by the car. Yeah. Uh, it played in this scene. And it played last episode or two episodes ago as well, but it's it's come up a few times. It's as clearly one of the new one of the new principal bad lamenti cues. Yeah, because we have um, pointed out um, just various performances on this episode. I thought the degree to which Naomi Watts conveyed how much her character Janie E was just utterly drained at the you know at the point at which Cooper leaves for good. I thought was uh, very effective. Yep. Like she just looked completely like everything has been taken from her mm-hmm. in a way that was very crushing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was rough. Yep. Um, at least Sonny Jim has that gym set. Every kid should have a jo- gym set <laughs> oh, as a Mitchum <laughs> once states yet again Yeah. in this episode. Yep. You know, Dougie's talking with a lot of assurance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they're like the Greek chorus. They're like the, the hilarious... They're basically the Greek chorus of this ser- series. Yeah. Yeah, we, we cut to them in the in the limo with Cooper, and uh, they are assured that their days of difficulties dealing with the FBI, those days are over. I guess so. I mean, that's what Cooper says. Yes. He, he explicitly states that. I mean, I don't know why, how that would exactly be true. I mean, they presumably are still I mean, because, because he will definitively say, Gordon, and then yeah. <laughs> tell him that these men have hearts Gordon, of gold. Gordon, these men have hearts of gold. I don't know why I just said that as Gordon. Weird. When those two characters speak in that Something way to each other, just... they have very similar enunciations like that. That's though. true. When, when Kyle McLaughlin is definitively saying that's true. something. Gordon, yeah, he does have that like, I think that's big, p- in part because he plays that element of Cooper just as 
David Lynch. I think that's kind of Kyle MacLachlan's. Yeah, he's 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 given back what he's getting. Yeah, yeah. it's Bradley Mitchum, right? Is uh, Bradley Mitchum is Jim Belushi? Is Jim Belushi? Yeah. He's really he really twin peaks up that Bloody Mary. He really enjoys it. And then Cooper has a pretty muted experience with his yeah, limousine coffee. Yeah, yeah. He's not really... We're saving the true Cooper coffee experience first... for next week, I'm sure. Yeah, we must be. Because I mean, that double was his R first up. coffee experience as his... Re- in full... It didn't look like great coffee. It looked like limousine coffee. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure it wasn't anything special. But, you know, he still looked satisfied, but... Sure. I mean, I although, really, though... It could be that his first true coffee experience as Cooper was felt through Dougie Jones when he sipped that coffee back in the house in part three and just spat it out that's and looked true. insane. Yeah, that's like true. that was literally probably the first time Dale Cooper has had the sensory input of drinking coffee in twenty five years. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Given now what we what we what is suggested about his yeah. experience, yeah. yeah. Um <sighs> Yep. So I think that's the, that's it up until the Roadhouse. I'm so, so well. I I'll, seeing all this Cooper stuff has made me so 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 excited for next week's episodes. I mean, oh, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be obviously bittersweet because it's the last two episodes of Twin Peaks yeah. that we get maybe possibly ever forever or maybe for years. I'll be fine if it's the last we get forever. But I didn't expect us to get this far in a lot of these plot threads this week. I didn't expect, especially Cooper, to wake up to this degree and for the end of this episode to be him, him taking the goddamn Mitchum brothers and those three girls to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Unexpected, delightful thing that makes me just so excited for the yeah. next two episodes. Like knowing it's just going to be Kyle McLaughlin as Dale Cooper returning to Twin Peaks is like basically a two hour movie next yeah. week. Uh, also bringing the Mitchum brothers with him in a yeah. limousine. They're flying in a plane, I know. Yeah. But too bad they're not. Too bad Cooper isn't going to roll up in a white limo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to fly in on a private jet with some blinking windows, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe they called ahead and rented a limousine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. Whatever the hell it is, it also it, it's oh, yeah. it's made room in my mind now for both knowing that I'm going to get. Legitimate Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks, Bad Coop in Twin Peaks, and also the fact that it's two hours long means I've left room in my brain for knowing that I can comfortably get those things and also whatever weird shit goes down next week. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited for oh, it. Oh, I think it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Showtime is actually airing. Um, I mean, if you have this on streaming, you can do this yourself, but Showtime is airing all 18 episodes uh, as a marathon leading up to part uh, 17, 18 uh, next weekend. So, cool. Yes. If you want to go insane, you can literally just sit down and watch Twin Peaks. I mean, anyone can do that, I guess, if you time it so that but 6 p.m. Eastern time. TV. Yeah, if you want to do it on TV the way Twin Peaks was meant to be seen, <laughs> sit down in front of Showtime for a whole day. You know what Twin Peaks, the way it was not meant to be seen, was on a streaming service because it looks like garbage <sighs> and it really sucks. I and all these episodes that have all these dark, really dark scenes, this one was not as bad as last week, but it, it still just looks like crap and it's a shame. And it's not anyone's fault. No. It's just how it is but i'm looking forward to there being a really nice blu-ray release i hope i hope that we get the most pristine i mean it's a copy it of is this a possible. beautiful looking show artistically so yeah. I, you'd think lynch would want that to i'm sh- yeah even if they i mean just are, would they release it at that resolution i i hope so even like for all yeah why not for all things anyone says one way or the other about does 4k make a difference i would love to be able to see this show as like crisply and pristinely as i possibly mm-hmm. could totally um 
Anyway, we're distracting ourselves from the wild... The, the most bonkers element of this episode, actually. So good! God, because, it is so fucking good! Yeah, because Cooper, at least, we either it was going to happen or it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But we knew both possibilities, and this was one of them. Yeah. Uh, however, <laughs> Audrey and Charlie finally showing up at the Roadhouse... Yes. To watch Eddie Vedder. To watch Eddie Vedder under his real name. He's yeah. introduced as whatever his Edward full name. Edward Lewis Severson. As Edward Lewis Severson. Yeah. Then we get an Eddie Vedder performance that's interrupted by not our. It concludes. Our viewing of it is interrupted in the middle of it by Audrey showing up, and yeah, it does oh, conclude. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you're just thinking, oh, is this another Roadhouse scene? Oh, huh. I guess uh, Audrey and Charlie or whatever did make it to the Roadhouse after all. Well, I guess that blows any theory that something weird is going on with Audrey, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We're proud to present Audrey's dance. Yeah. What? What? That was seriously the most shocking moment of the episode to me. That was more shocking than yes. Cooper returning. Because, again, I kind of expected it. But yeah, but he's... Saying the words... He's introducing it by the name that Bad Lamenti gives the cue on the Twin Peaks soundtrack. Yeah. It's never been called that anywhere other than in the like real life outside of the world of Twin Peaks. Right. And then it's just literally the recording, but has with mimed those, along the, jazz performers. Wah, those yeah, cheesy horns. But yeah, with a with a fake jazz band on screen playing along with it. Oh my god! Yeah, ah, it's <laughs> so fucking good. It was fantastic. And then just and the audience like swaying. Yeah, the audience in parting, time. parting really to leave time, to leave a huge space. Yeah, and just. Seeing Cheryl and Fenn be able to play Audrey Horn kind of coming alive as the Audrey, yeah. like f- for a glimpse. That's, I mean, I was kind of alluding to it because it's a very different thing than what we've seen Kyle MacLachlan or, uh, yeah, or Laura Dern do, but we've seen her play Audrey as this, this sort of beleggered, really constantly frustrated constantly yeah. exhausted person and then when she's out on the out on the dance floor you finally catch a glimmer of like the classic Audrey Horn smile in like yeah. one shot as she sort of turns uh-huh. and then kind of brings it inward to herself and like does like kind of just lives inside of that moment up until it gets destroyed by that guy saying that's my wife you son of a bitch or whatever and punching someone yeah which felt like it was happening almost like out of the corner of your perception of what's going right. on in the space until it just breaks the moment. Yeah. And then she, you know, when she runs up to Charlie and says, get me out of here. And then, and he then, does. and then he does, or <laughs> she does to herself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. Yeah. And, you know, we've spent weeks being like, is she in a coma? Is this a dream? Is this an alternate world? Da, 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 da. Is there a bad or good version of this? Yep. Who fucking knows? Yes well, to all of yes those things. Yes to some version of that, certainly. <laughs> but like the most good David Lynch only is the only person who makes things that work this way version of that is what happened. And it was so fucking good. Yeah. The thing that is so great about that is that it, I mean, again, I mean, once again, th- this is actually a version of it that is maybe a little bit closer to some of David Lynch's film work but like when you think back to those scenes where Audrey in this season was introduced and we go multiple episodes where it just seems to be exist in some it seems to exist in some perpetually frustrated stasis Mm -hmm. you know and it's just like there's something wrong with this there's something wrong with this there's something wrong with this and specifically because of what we already knew about the Audrey character people had these coma theories, mm-hmm. but like without that knowledge, you know, if this was, if this series had no 
precursor, mm-hmm. you know, for some reason. And we just, it was literally identical. That scene, those scenes with Charlie and Audrey would still have felt incredibly unnerving and unreal yeah. in some way that would have been difficult to identify. And I, I just think that speaks to um, how well Lynch is often able to balance on this knife edge of uh, sort of uncanniness. Yep. Uh, it's another scene that definitely makes you go back and reevaluate a ton of what we've seen before. Not just not the, just her, not just the previous Audrey scenes, but last week we actually started sort of scratching at this a little bit about how the Roadhouse has felt off in this yeah. in this season. It's felt like this weird crossing point between pl- scenes and characters that we do know and scenes and characters that we don't know, and it just doesn't feel right. And this episode, like definitely went all in on that where reality just broke inside yeah. of the roadhouse. And don't forget that we've we've had sort of supernatural stuff in the roadhouse before because uh, the giant appeared there to Cooper. Yes. Right? The ro- as- yeah, the roadhouse has been that gateway uh, yeah. before. That's true. I mean, even just the way that the Julie Cruz stuff is shot feels like Very almost like, yeah, like you're, like you're inside of a dream. But it's made me wonder specifically if we've actually been seeing two different versions or two different sides of the roadhouse throughout the entirety of Twin Peaks. Like I've been trying to figure out all of this stuff with Billy and all of sort of like the Billy verse characters only seem to exist inside of the scenes with Audrey inside of the booth at the roadhouse. And in that one scene in the double R where the kid runs by and said, has anyone seen Billy? The thing that was notable about that scene in the roadhouse, excuse me, geez, the scene in the double R in like episode four or five or six, somewhere in the first third where the character opens the door and says, has anyone seen Billy? It was the one and only time we've seen or, or heard Billy's name mentioned outside of the roadhouse or Audrey's house. But in that moment, it was preceded by a jump cut where the positions and clothing and extras inside of the scene changed to be subtly different people. I don't know what any of that means, but like we have those things happening. So just to be just to be super clear, you're saying that there were two different shots of the double R that appear to be from different time, like different times or different versions of it somehow. Yeah, like were they right, literally right. were they temporally disconnected? Was it actually just like a, a different version of the double R? This is this is was it a continuity error? Well, was it a continuity error? I don't I don't know. I'm I'm less inclined to believe that there are continuity errors in this show at this point. I, I, at this point, yes, and especially given how simple of a scene that was. Right. Why I, not just remove the right. the shot with like, the continuity? E- error? Exactly. Like it, Audrey is clearly trapped somewhere. Whether it is. In a known Twin Peaks place to be trapped, one of the sort of right. magical, weird... Is she in a hospital? Or, yeah, is she trapped in her own mind? Is she... I mean, the place it cuts to is a sterile, white environment, right. which could be any number of things. It could be a supernatural location right. represented abstractly. It could be a psychiatric then, ward. I don't know. At the same time now, I feel like my insane, weird speculation that makes no sense is that Inside of her mind or in this other place, Audrey is trapped inside of a shadow or mirrored version of the actual world of Twin Peaks that contains these echoes of real life that don't 100% match up. Like, I've always felt like the story with Billy really does somehow echo the story of what's going on with Richard Horn and the and, yeah. and the truck and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't line up 100%. The scene with the two people punching each other out over someone's wife in mm-hmm. the um, roadhouse really felt like it was yep. a reverberation of the scene with James and yep. um, him getting in a fight in in the roadhouse the night, the quote unquote, the night before or whatever, last week's episode. Yeah. Also, 
we keep seeing these scenes in the roadhouse where characters are talking about things that sound familiar but don't line up. Also, sometimes we have bands in there or performers who are introduced with not quite their real names. We have The Nine Inch Nails. We have Eddie Vedder introduced not with his real name. Also, sometimes we're introduced to the roadhouse through the camera pointing directly at the light-up sign that says Bang Bang Bar, and sometimes we're introduced to the roadhouse by the camera shooting through the earth into a reflection of it down in the dirt. And I don't think any of those things directly are cohesive, but it definitely feels like the things we've been seeing in the roadhouse and the things we've been seeing with Audrey and maybe that other little Billy scene are hinting at something that Lynch Mm -hmm. is trying to do that we can't entirely see. Will we actually see that resolved in the next two weeks, or is that going to be one of the things that upon really aggressive detailed analysis will have so, more th- continuity than it should because like a Lynch often talk at the beginning of the episode when you were talking about how sometimes it seems like Lynch is going emotionally or intuitively fly by the seat of his pants that often re- the re- it's revealed later that there is far more internal consistency oh, sure. to those choices when you take a big step back from his work than there might be in the moment. And I'm wondering if all of this stuff is going to become one of those. Totally possible. Our our friend Brandon Boyer, um, who you mentioned some of these observations to, Mm -hmm. uh, we actually just got a message from him saying he went through (laughs) and took detailed notes from all 16 episodes with those in mind and could not find a consistent... Okay. Um, thread, but I think, but I think, in a general sense, I, I think you're really onto something with those observations, uh, in terms of them suggesting parallel tracks of some kind or yeah. some alternate reality. I mean, I really think that you're there's definitely something there, whether or not it's a lock and yeah. explicit lock and key legend. It, it yeah, it it almost feels like this is this is the most ridiculous version of it. But it almost feels like Audrey is locked inside of a mental construct of like an invitation to love a version of Twin Peaks <laughs> sure, yeah. where the names are different, the plots are the same, yeah. and also people will threaten to write her character out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um for what reason? Who knows. Right. Is Charlie the showrunner of but- <laughs> I mean, maybe because Charlie seems like he's a mental construct of her. We saw the shot, the shot of her, uh, the over-the-shoulder shot of Audrey screaming at Charlie to get her out of this or to take her home is the exact same composition, like shot composition, of Audrey looking at herself in the mirror. Yeah. It cuts to a full face mm. close-up of her before cutting back to that, but if you remove that shot, it would have been a jump cut from her screaming at Charlie to her screaming at herself. Mm-hmm. Again, makes me really excited to see what the heck we make out of all of this in the next in the next next two hours, because everything is very clearly like condensing and coalescing around Twin Peaks. Like every plot thread is a Mm -hmm. feels like it is as aggressively poised to punch into all the other ones as Mm -hmm. they could possibly be. Which can't wait for that Freddy arm. It's gonna happen. Whatever. (laughs) What? (laughs) What if Chekhov's rubber glove? The most amazing fucking twist that will not happen is if the next two weeks' episodes are directed by Mark Frost. <laughs> because right now we are poised in the same way that the very end of season... Is it two weeks? I thought there's only one week left. It's the next two hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the end of season one felt very much like the moment that we're at right now, where every single plot thread was just teetering over a cauldron ready to just like all be dumped in yeah. to the complete mess that was the season one finale in this case though i suspect what we're going to get is something that feels like a combination of the season one and season two finales of twin peaks sure. uh, all sort of all of the plot that we have has to necessitate 
some degree of the amount of insane crossing over of threads that you got at the end of season one of Twin Peaks, but also all of the weird metaphysical lore insanity means that we're, and the fact that David Lynch is directing it means that we're also probably going to get people just wandering around doing weird a narrative. I am very excited for next week. <laughs> I am too. I think it's going to be great. And I'm going to be at Seattle at a trade show when oh, it's right. on TV. Gonna so I'm going to be watching it from a yeah. laptop in a hotel. Yeah. So we might be late with our episode. We might be late. Um, I suspect though that the episode will end up being a long, wild mess of us talking forever. Yeah. Probably but like so. in a good way. Yeah. Kind of like this episode. Kind is. of like this episode. <laughs> well, uh, on there's that, so much to talk about. There is so much to talk about. Um, but on, on that note, we should probably stop talking about it for now. Yep. Uh, look forward to next week, which I am very excited about. Uh, thank you for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. Um, if you like this show, you have just a few days left to recommend it to someone to join us for our final uh, episode or to catch up mm-hmm. on our episodes leading up to this for people who are, who are uh, doing that with the show or just looking to revisit them. Or even if you hate Twin Peaks, but like listening to people talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can send us email uh, to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. I know it's been a few weeks since we've gotten to it, but we are going to have a sort of catch-up episode after the season is over uh, where we go through and, and collect thoughts and, mm-hmm. and so on. So that'll be good. Twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com, and there you can find all the places uh, that we reside on the internet, including the Twin Peaks Rewatch Forum on the Idle Forums, which is a great place to discuss every episode of this show with a very enthusiastic, intelligent, and friendly community. Yes. Those are really, really good threads every yeah. single week. Yep. And uh, also thanks to everyone who talks about the show in the YouTube comments as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. There's good stuff going on there as well, which is it's a new thing for us and it's been very cool to see. Um, so, yeah, on that, we will be back next week for the finale for du- a, double yeah, length. We're going to do one episode for both parts and then do a follow up episode after that. So right. you'll still get two more episodes for two more hours, but they're going to be talking about part 17, 18 and then talking about the season. Mm hmm. Yeah, so thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. For Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye.